Hello and welcome to Melbourne Recital Centre's Soundscapes podcast. I'm Kat McGoran. Today we're going to delve into the history of Rebetikov music with Con Calamaris, the artistic director of the Rebetikov Festival. Con explains the context that gave rise to this beautifully raw music, which deals with the human experiences of displacement, heartache, and longing. The the genre itself is over well, close to a hundred years old. The way that I approach it is there's two corridors of it. Prior to World War One, there was a, a very large Greek population in Turkey that had been there for two, three thousand years. And obviously in Greece, there was a very large Turkish population. So the only difference, they both spoke Turkish and they both were Greek speaking as well. The only difference was the religion. So, you know, either or were either Orthodox or they were Islamic. So that's the history. They coexisted for, for centuries. In, in Asia Minor, there was Armenians that lived, they coexisted. There was Turkish, there was Persians, and that was fine. After World War One, that kind of went pear-shaped because Greece entered the war on the proviso that if they won the war, they would, they would be granted land in Turkey. That was historically Greek, and, and um, that didn't eventuate. So long story short, the Greeks that were living in Turkey were expelled out of Greece purely because of their religion, and both sides committed atrocities. So overnight, Greece had an influx of about 1.5 million refugees. These people weren't really Greeks. They, the only thing that made them Greek was their religion. And they were, they were educated people. They, were, they had a rich history of music. And overnight, these um, uh, um, refugees just poured into Greece because they weren't welcome in Turkey. And they, they never, some of them had never been to Greece. So they could speak both Turkish and Greek. So overnight, all these people poured into Greece because they weren't welcome in Turkey and vice versa. The Turkish people that were living in Greece were expelled overnight. That was the first um, populist exchange that occurred in World War One, after World War One. So that's what happened. And they were the government overnight had to establish a place for them to live. So they established all these shanty towns around the ports. These, these weren't suburbs. They just created all these tent cities in Thessaloniki, in Piraeus, in Athens. And with that, the upside, I think, is that they brought their music with them. And that's, and that's how the music was introduced to the, the greater Greek population. The simplest way is to think of it like blues, like American yep. blues. So thematically, it, 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 it has similar themes, you know, um, uh, people who are refugees, who are heartbroken. There's, very, there's various themes around drugs, prostitution, uh, people being dispossessed, you know, the, the usual themes that you see you know, across any blue genre. Um, and But since then, it's kind of has evolved into many different genres. But essentially after the, 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 the golden period, the golden age period, I should say, would be the 20s and the 30s. And a lot of these people who came across from Asia Minor were classically trained, really successful musicians who overnight were poor and they, they had no job. The only thing they could do was either music or kind of scratch a living in Athens or in, in Piraeus. How did people get together? What was the the meeting point, or what was the impetus for people to you know to find other musicians and and play music? Well, the music itself predominantly did come out of the hash tens that were existing in Piraeus. You know, a lot of there was a, there was a high unemployment, so that was the place where people could meet to either find work or just how do I say escape from their 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 daily worries, and this music would transport them to other places or it was also very reminiscent of their life that they'd left behind in Asia Minor so the, all these talented musicians who couldn't find work and and quite a few of the prominent composers who came out of um 
pre and post war didn't have intentions to be musicians. It's just what they were able to do. You know, quite a few famous ones, like you know, one one artist called Apostolos Christos was a welder, and he couldn't find work as a welder, so he turned to music. You know, another gentleman called Yanis Papayuano, who was from Turkey as well, had aspirations of becoming a soccer player, and then but music took off. You know, so it's it's. And also Vasilis Tsitsanis was, was studying to be a lawyer. You know, it's, it's great when you, when you delve into it. Marcos Van Vakaris, who's regarded as the patriarch of Rebetico, he was originally from Syros, which is one of the islands. Um, there, was, there was very limited options for him. So he, um, he snuck on a ship and ended up in Piraeus. And from the age of 12, he was working odd jobs at ports, whatever jobs he can do. And then eventually he was working in the slaughterhouses in Athens. And then he stumbled across these hash gens that we spoke about and he heard this music and he goes, I have to do this. And he was one person that was instrumental in taking this music to the world. And how did this music sound to the Greeks who were living on the mainland? Well, um, the sound was unkind, it was not something that the mainland Greeks were used to or familiar with and it, and and it was it was marginalized music it wasn't it wasn't really accepted even even to this day it's still kind of a niche kind of genre and you either love it or you hate it and i think thematically that's that's what um, was the line in the sand some people just thought you know what this is not for me it's a bit too heavy for my liking so there's a lot of weight in the original recordings con can you explain the difference between the two types of rabbitico before, and I mentioned there's two chorals ways. There's the music, there's modern day Izmir used to be called Smidni, which is that multicultural part of Greece, that uh, Turkey. So there's Smidniko, which is one part of Rebetiko, or Biriotiko, which is from Piraeus. So there's two. So the, the Smidniko side of it is that rich Eastern Turkish Greek music, which is, you know, include, doesn't include Buzukia, it's very Eastern music. And then there's the Biriotiko, which is the very heavy kind of drug-referenced, smoke-hazed kind of hashish kind of theme music. So there's two there's two ways to kind of approach it, and that's and the 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 Biriotiko one is the one that really either you like it or you hate it. When you say weight in the music, yeah, is that lyrically or or in the music itself? Lyrically, it's it, they're they're very heavy to listen to. Some would say kind of almost you know. Um, you, cause depressing. Depressing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible to say it. But um, also the, the things that, that, that this music has, which a lot of the music didn't have in Greece at the time, was a, a thing called taksim, which is improvisation. So sometimes the musicians will play for, you know, 10, 15 minutes before they actually played the song. So there's a lot of improvisations. And the modes and the scales are completely different because they're, they're, they're the Turkish modes and the Iranian modes. So different scales altogether. The tuning's different. The instrumentation was different because Greece was, you know, had an Italian influence at the time, you know, a Western side. And then you've got this influx of music that has roots in Turkey and Asia Minor. Well, it might be a good time to listen to a piece of music. What have you got for me, Con? The first song I'd like to introduce is a song called Dominore Duteke, Jack Helikias. Uh, this instrumental piece is um, has become quite a staple in the collection of everybody who's into Rebetica. Um, the instrumental piece, Jack Halikias, his name was, um, he changed his name to Jack Gregory for the benefit of the foreigners when he arrived in New York because people couldn't pronounce his name. Uh, Deke um, refers to the hash tens, so um, the minore, obviously the minor instrumentation of a song that would be improvised at a teke, which is the hash tens. Mm-hmm. 
song that you just heard there, Jack Halikias, Jack Gregory. Again, that's this is a good example of um, a very simple musical um, performance. It does highlight the simplicity of the songs. And, and almost when you kind of hear it, it feels like you're in an almost trance-like um, meditative kind of state. So again, what I tend to do with these songs is, you know, when you listen to them, you just close your eyes and you can actually can, can almost hear the pain or, you know, the, the joy or sorrow of, um, of these songs. The interesting thing, you know how we spoke about themes? Mm. When the Metaxas dictatorship came in um, to power in Greece, they heavily censored the music. So a lot, of, a majority of the early recordings weren't done in Greece. They were done in America because it was a huge diaspora in, in, in America and Germany as well. So that's um, that's because of the themes. It was heavily censored. They would raid record stores. They would raid venues and close them down because they had this music. So and that just kind of drove it even more underground. You know, what is the status of this music at the moment in Greece? It's still it's still um, uh, a niche genre and it, but it's, but Greece is the epicenter of this music it's still very popular amongst the university students so it still resonates to people who are experiencing hard times and interesting you know with the Greeks that live in abroad it still generates interest for you know in Germany and Holland and Spain they have lots of these ensembles or Greek bands from Greece who do play in in those countries and what about here in Melbourne I mean Melbourne has had well, I think Melbourne has one of the biggest Greek communities outside of Greece. It does. Yeah. It does. So um, uh, uh, Melbourne has had a long history with this music, dating back to the late 70s when, when you know, it was revived again. And I think one thing that, um, that should take credit to why this music came back again in force is that in the early 80s, um, there was a TV series that was produced in Greece called Dominorit Savies, which is a favourite. So that that TV program was um, a 30-episode program. It was kind of like a, it's like a drama, a TV drama, but it was set in the 20s and 30s. So essentially it followed the life of four musicians, and so all this music was interwoven in the story, and it was loosely based on people that existed at that time. And that TV program was a huge success in Greece and also in America and also in Australia. SBS aired that TV program here, and, and that also helped push it along on a national level. So uh, Melbourne's had a, a long history from the 70s, 80s as well. What can people expect? What's your take going to be on this style at the festival? Well, because it's such a broad genre now, you know, we, we're talking about music that essentially came out of you know, 1915 and is still evolving to this day. So we were, um, when putting the program together, we wanted to there was a few things that we wanted to do. A, make sure that it was we could bring somebody from Greece who was able to portray this music in its original form, which we have. Um, so that's the, one of the acts, which is called Bliri Taxi, which means everything's okay. That's that's one of the groups. That's They're from Thessaloniki, and they play the music as it was performed in the 20s. The other the other um, group that we've got is a, is, is a band consisting of... Um, a female singer called Chrysula, and she's got her four-piece uh, four ensemble that play music based on the Asia Minor style that we spoke about. So you've got the original Hashten version, and then you've got the elegant uh, Asia Minor influence. So that's that's we're kind of covering two bases. And then the other thing we've got is um, we've, we're trying to, and this is intentionally, to really engage in younger 
audiences because otherwise this music will, will die out. So we've, we've got a, a, an ensemble of 13 students who are going to play music. So we've got a bouzouki orchestra. And then we've also got some students from Alphington Grammar as well, who are also, you know, 12, 13 year olds playing this music. And then in between, dotted in between, we've got people who have been playing this music for, for ages, like, you know. Uh, you. <laughs> yeah, me. Uh, Pascal Latra, who's, um, who's, who's a, a real veteran in Melbourne. She's, she, she often goes back and forth, but she's fantastic. Um, and so we've got Pascal Latra and the Phil Hellenes. We've got the Rebetico Ensemble, which I play in. Um, so it's, it's 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 a good mix. I think we've 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 managed to please everybody, and we've also got some dancing as well. So we've brought in some dancers who specialize in this Asia minor music dancing. So a lot of the people would never experience this, and that's and that's what we we want people to walk away going, wow, I didn't realize it was so diverse. You know, this is this is it's like peeling an onion. You know, Rebetikov Festival takes over Melbourne Recital Centre on Saturday the 10th of March. Tickets available from melbournerecital.com.au. Thanks for listening. I'm Kat McGoran. Till next time.